Living the Word, where you become a part of the conversation centered around faith, family, and community. Right here on WHKW AM 1220, The Word. And good morning. I'm Glenn Mertz, and thanks for being here. I was in a, a men's Bible study not too long ago. I just started going to this one on a Friday morning, and the gentleman that was speaking uh, gave a, a sermon, or a bit of a, a talk, and was uh, talking about, at some point, about similarities between Mormonism and Islam, and it really uh, piqued my curiosity. His name is John Murtha, and he's sitting across from me today. He has been teaching about uh, 12 similarities between Mormonism and Islam, and he's brought with him David Abud, and I want to thank you both for being here today, because this is a, a subject I think is going to be fascinating for a lot of folks, and First, John, how did you get started doing this? Because uh, I know there's similarities between the two, but you kind of crystallized them. How did you How did you do this? Well, first of all, thank you, Glenn, for the invitation to be here this morning. It is a real privilege. The way it started, uh, quite uh, candidly and concisely, um, I went overseas during the Vietnam War. I was a soldier in Southeast Asia during the Vietnam War. I served two tours of duty over there. It was three years after my discharge from the Army I came to Christ. And God had really put on my heart by that time I met my wife, Marie, uh, to go back to Southeast Asia as a missionary. So me and my family spent quite a few years in that part of the world where I ministered predominantly to people of the Buddhist background and also animist or people that believed in spirits. But off of that would come an interest in other beliefs and worldviews and religions. When I came back to Ohio, I got involved with an outreach to the Islamic community here because we were having uh, several people, Middle Eastern background people were bringing their Muslim friends to some of the Bible studies, and they would have questions, they would have an interest in the Bible, and that caused me to study Islam more, and then I saw some commonalities between Islam and Mormonism, and so I started to study, I cannot say this is an original work, because I pulled from different sources, but uh, the 12 we'll look at this morning, if we can get that far, uh, it's quite intriguing, and I my basis is this, Glenn, first of all, it says in the scripture, 1 Corinthians, in uh, 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 Peter, 1 Peter 3.15, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give an answer to everyone that asks the reason for the hope that lieth within you, but do it with respect and humility. So my approach with world religions and sharing the faith with others uh, is not to be critical as much as to be analytical. Okay. I try to find out where they're coming from, why they believe, what they believe. And then I try to respond with what does the scripture say. Number two, I believe this particular uh, presentation gives people a way to understand these very significant religions that are affecting our world today. Uh, one is, you know, 1.7, 1.8 billion people on the planet Earth. Yeah. And the other is rapidly grown. It's all American religion. It's about 15 million people in the Mormon faith. And so it also causes us to strengthen our own faith. Because when we look at each of the commonalities between these two religions, we're going to look at the scriptural basis or what does our Bible say about those particular practices. Okay, and you've been doing this for quite a while, right? Oh, quite a few years. Now, right? I want to bring this up front because you'll go to places, you've gone all over the country to teach this, uh, and if somebody wanted you to come to uh, their church or their organization, uh, you'd go, right? Yeah, sure. All right, so uh, we're going to give contact information before we go here today. Remind me to do that. I'd appreciate that. Uh, so, uh, so folks can reach out to you because we're not going to get, as John said, we're not going to get to everything. We're not going to get really in-depth, but we do want to highlight some of these. And I, I think it's fascinating because you start out with probably the, the most obvious uh, for people that have studied both Islam and Mormonism, and that is the angelic uh, visitation 
to uh, both Joseph Smith and to Muhammad. Can you break that down for us? Yeah, it's a great starting point, Glenn. Um, first of all, Muhammad, born in Saudi Arabia, roughly around the uh, year 570 uh, A.D. And um, as a young man, he's orphaned, and he— uh, kind of a real close summary of his life, he will uh, marry an older woman by the name of Khadija, and he, she's a merchant, rather wealthy, and so he's got free time, and he's kind of disenchanted with the belief systems of his time, and he tends to wander off and meditate in the fields and in the caves, and one day uh, in the year 610, he has what he calls this visitation, an angel, uh, what he'll call Gabriel, which we would call the angel Gabriel, so he says. And it says, Ikara, 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 that is to say, recite, recite to read, recite to read. Well, he doesn't know what he's hearing. He's terrified. He thinks he's encountered a djinn, where we get genie. He right. thinks it's a spirit. And he goes home, and his, his, his wife convinces him, no, you're a prophet. His uncle also convinces him, maybe you're a prophet like an unto Moses. And he goes back, and he gets these repeated revelations and that's the start of what we would call the Quran the 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 the, the supernatural revelation to this man in Saudi Arabia 6 centuries after Christ and that will be codified years later into what we call today is the Quran do you believe you actually saw an angel uh, yeah we'll get into that i that's why the bible says um uh galatians beware galatians yeah. uh, 1 uh will say but even if we are an angel from heaven preaching any other gospel to you than we have preached to you, let him be accursed. The other, I, he's talking about another angel, an angel from heaven. And mm. it's the same thing that we'll say in uh, 2 Corinthians where Paul says, I fear that somehow the serpent deceived thee by his craftiness may come to you. If he who comes to you preaches another Jesus or a different spirit or a different gospel, don't put up with him. So the idea, it was familiar to the early church that there was false spirits around. Same thing in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. For are such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming them into apostles of light. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Mm. So the idea of spirit contact and revelation knowledge is not uncommon. But this was this was a long time after Jesus' ascension. 600 years. Yeah. 600 years. Do you find the timing to be strange? Well, no, because, I mean, people that are involved in occultic practice and to try to tap into the spirit world, we saw that when we lived in Southeast Asia. You had, like, what you'd call a, a wizard, shaman, spirit doctors that would try to right. contact spirit beings. Same thing you might see on the West Coast today with channeling. People pay big money for this stuff where they contact a yeah. spirit, yeah. which, biblically speaking, we would call a demonic spirit or familiar spirit. So I don't find it. Jesus warned us after he would leave, many false prophets would come on the scene. Right. Paul is warning us here in First John. He'll say, don't believe every spirit, but test or try the spirits. Are they preaching the same thing that the apostles were preaching? And we're going to get into that later when we see they have a different Jesus, a different gospel. And again, Similar to Joseph Smith, upstate New York, 1820. Right. And and again, he sees an angel. angel. But yeah. this is not Gabriel. No, this is interesting. He is a young man, and he's uh, he, he's up in 1820 in that time period. Is what was the great um, revivals were sweeping back and forth across America. He lived in what was called the burnt-out area where there's revivals. But he was very disenchanted with the churches of his day, similar right. to the way Muhammad was disenchanted with the belief system of his day. it's But he is what they call a treasure hunter. He goes out looking for buried Indian treasure, and he, he uses these different uh, occultic methods. But one of them is a seer stone where he has this stone, 
He'll put to his eye and he'll look and supposedly he can look underground to find treasure. He's actually convicted once uh, for uh, this kind of a con man doing this stuff and telling people, invest in me and I'll find this treasure. But one day he's out in the woods and number one, he believes that God appears to them, God the Father and his son. He says, this is my beloved son. And a couple years later, he has an angelic visitation like Muhammad. And this is when he, the angel Moroni, and he says, uh, you you're a prophet of God. You're gonna I'm gonna tell you where to go dig up these um, buried golden plates in New York, the the Hill Kimura, and then you're gonna get it and you're gonna use this seer stone, this thing you put up in your eyes, and you're gonna look and it's gonna decodify this golden plates, and out of that you're gonna get the Book of Mormon essentially. So, so both of these men are gonna this is your this is a good point to start at, Glenn. This is your starting point is the angelic visitation. Well, here's what's striking to me is Muhammad's the only one that saw the angel. Right. Uh Joseph Smith's the only one that saw the angel and the golden tablets, although it's my understanding that a couple other people claim to have seen them too, but who knows if that if that's true mm-hmm. or not. And you, conveniently the golden tablets uh disappeared because the this angel took it back. So he really couldn't prove anything. Right, exactly. So, so I, you know, I uh, again, uh, in my mind, you know, a lot of this is uh, satanic anyway. But, um, uh, you know, you look at Joseph Smith, and it seems like he had problems. Well, now that comes to the next part of this story, Glenn. And, and the second part is that both of these men are going to draw heavily from the Bible. Uh, they're going to, for their for their holy book, if you want to call it that, and they're going to draw heavily, uh, Muhammad is going to draw heavily from the Old Testament in particular, and what they call the New Testament, or the Injil, and you're going to see elements, you're going to see Noah, and you're going to see Adam, and Joseph, uh, David, and these uh, different biblical characters, but once the Quran is completed, they will say, our book is corrupted but they don't really show the areas of corruption. It's very similar if I mean if I'm reading in the book of Mormon when it's completed and they draw he draws heavily uh, from uh, the Bible. He says I'm reading from uh, the book of Mormon what they call another testament of Jesus Christ. And it says here uh, concerning this record the prophet Joseph Smith said, I told the brothers that the book of Mormon was the most correct of any book on earth and the keystone of our religion. And a man would get nearer to God by, by by its precepts than by any other book. So both of them claim divine inspiration and that their book is a source of authority and the book that Christians hold to be true, uh, the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, is somehow uh, dis- dismissed because right. it's corrupted. We're talking with John Murtha and David Abood, and we're talking about 12 similarities between Mormonism and Islam. And, and again, I'll point out that, uh, John, will come to your church or your organization and talk about this. How can they reach you, John? Well, the easiest way to reach me is just simply go to my, um, uh, just send me an email. I mean, uh, Murtha, M-U-R-T-H-A, J for John, J-M at yahoo.com. Okay. Martha J.M. at Yahoo.com. Do you have a website or anything? Uh, they can go. A lot of my teaching, a lot of the classes I've done is on uh, John uh, 1421. Just okay. John 1421. Okay. www.john1421. All right. What other similarities are there between? Well, th- th- those, those get us into their sacred books. And uh, like I said, the, the, the in Islam, you're going to have the Quran, which is uh, it's about four-fifths the size of our New Testament. It's made up of chapters that are called surahs. It's just what it is. And um, then uh, in addition to that is what we have is the hadiths 
or the Book of Traditions, that this tells us about the life of Muhammad. It gives backstory. It tells a lot about his interaction with his people and his followers and his battles, etc. And um, they consider that sacred, much like uh, Judaism may have the Talmud. Is there, is, there what, is there one book more sacred than the other? Oh, yeah, the Quran. That's what I thought. Yeah, oh, yes. but, but we have to point out that, that, that Muhammad did not write that. Uh, no. Now, they make a big thing of that he's illiterate. Right. I mean, they make a real big thing that, well, it had to be divinely inspired. How else could he get this sophisticated messaging system? Um, others would write down on parchment, on animal bone, on leather. And, and these are going to be collated years later and codified into the book that they would call the Quran. Now, th- 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 there's a lot of issues with this. Number one, uh, it's the only holy book of a major religion that openly denies mm-hmm. the uh, crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Mm. I mean, I, it's right there in, the, in their book where they say um, it's a false statement if anybody says that Jesus Christ was crucified. And we'll get to that when we see that they, they, they believe in a different Christ, as the Bible warned us against. They will say he was not crucified. It only appeared that he was crucified. So you're going to have a lot of errors in that book. Uh, you know, it's sad to say, I mean, not sad, but it, it, and then it's going to mislead people away. Right. Even though at times, Glenn... They will say, go to the people of the book, i.e. Jews and Christians, and ask them if you have a question or a dispute. But then later verses in the Quran dismiss it and say, we do not have the truth. And so this, this, is, a, this is problematic because the way the, the way the Quran is structured is it's, um, it's disjointed in the sense, it's almost like the book of Proverbs. Yeah, you have paragraphs here. Yep. Whereas if you study the Bible— it has a sweeping arc, a timeline that starts in Genesis, goes through prophetically, and is pointing to the person of Jesus Christ, death, burial, resurrection, and then post uh, what the Acts of the Apostles, the Epistles, building up the church, and finally the Revelation, which really completes the book of Je- So you have like this bookends with a completed unified story. That's mm. not the case uh, with the Quran, which makes it more difficult uh, to interpret because you're getting different verses that are in opposition sometimes to each other. Mm. What about the Book of Mormon? Does it counter? I mean, obviously there's contradictions in the Quran, but is there uh, contradictions within Mormon? Uh, yeah. Did you want to say anything on that, David? Just jump in when you feel. Yeah. The Mormon um, will have four books. The Book of Mormon is the, the, what I just read in the intro. That is their key book. That's what they think Angel Maroney uh, gives to Joseph Smith, upstate New York. And again, the way he's getting this is is clearly occultic, and you can study this. Yeah, I mean, you I can do a, not real in-depth research. It's just this was an occultic practice. He he brought the the the, um, the golden leaves home, this bound book that was buried on the hill Camorra in New York. He gets a hat. His friends or a couple of his farmer friends are behind him, so they don't see what really is going on. He has a, this amber seer stone this div, for divining, if you will, and he's looking in and he's reciting out to them. Then they're transcribing. Uh, so, again, they have many discrepancies. We're going to get to that, like the person of Jesus Christ or salvation or extra baptism or baptism for the dead. But when it's completed, he'll have this book, and then he says he gets other holy books, and those would be um, the Pearl of Great Price, mm. uh, Doctrines and Covenants, and the Book of Abraham, and they'll call it the Quad. If you add the Bible to it, they often will say this is the Quad, four books. Um, but they give this the preeminence. The Book of Mormon, they'll say the Bible's true when it's translated correctly, but it's not translated correctly is the inference here. So this is the true book. This is the standard. 
So again, we run into, you know, it all really, it all comes down to source of authority. Yeah. Really, what do you believe and why do you believe that's the truth? You know, I, it reminds me, and I, I've, I've told this story uh, before on this program, and, and my pastor actually is the one that uh, told this uh, story about uh, Satan is walking along with a, a couple of his demons uh-huh. and scattered all on the ground are little pieces of scripture. And Satan picks up uh, a piece of scripture and he sticks it in his pocket and the demons are appalled. They say, why, why do you want that, that scripture for? Yeah. He says, because with that little bit of truth, I can build a church. And it sounds to me like both Islam and Mormonism have succeedingly done that. Yeah, that's a good point. Always remember this. Uh, the greater the lie, the more truth it contains. Mm. The greater the lie, the more truth it contains. Interesting, uh, and that's what makes these some of these appealing because often they have a good moral systems in it. You know, don't be a drunk or don't commit adultery, don't do this, and so people uh, believe it. That's what it means. An angel of light comes, and, and then there was like a good message initially. But I always give the illustration or the metaphor. If I was to bake a cake and had the flour, the eggs, the, the the vanilla, all this really good stuff in there, but at the very end I just put two drops of arsenic. Is that a good cake? Yeah, yeah, that's 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 a good point because we, I mean, if you look at Mormonism, you go, those, they, those people, they don't drink, they don't smoke, they don't swear. Boy, they're they're they are about family. They're good people. Look at that Martin Luther over there; he's making his own beer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, so yeah, they go to the beer hall. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's the appearance, and what we always have to drill down to is what is truth. You know. That, that's why it always interests me when Jesus is being judged by Pilate. And, and, he's, and one of the last things he'll say to Jesus is, what is truth? But the problem yeah. is he leaves. He doesn't wait for the answer because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. But in all of these, they contain uh, elements of truth. They, but, they, you know. but it's all outside. That's, it's exterior, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's not inside. And Jesus said that about the uh, Pharisees. Yeah. You're, you're look clean on the outside, but on the inside, oh, you're filthy. Dead man's bones, white yeah, sepulchers. Exactly, and it's the same thing with these religions. Same, same going on here. It's very external. We'll get into some of the practices, and that's why they put a heavy emphasis even on something of what you eat. Mm-hmm. For example, uh, in uh, Islam, um, uh, you're not allowed to eat uh, pork or wine back in the day, and that's still pretty s- strong. And in Mormonism, you cannot eat um, any caffeinated drinks, tea, coffee. Uh, alcohol, uh, none of these kind of things. They're, they're dietary restrictions. And, of course, we know that Jesus says it, it's not what goes into a man's mouth that defiles him, but rather what comes out of the heart. And in 1 Corinthians 8.8, 8, it says, uh, food does not commend us to God one way or the other. We're not holier because we're vegetarians. We're not closer to God because we don't eat pork products. That's not the real issue. I mean, we should take care of our bodies. They're a temple of the Holy Spirit. Don't get me wrong, but to put dietary restrictions on people in a belief system is not is not scriptural. Yeah, you know, I, I saw a study. In fact, I was talking with uh, Lee Johnson, our producer, about this at, at one time, and I, I mentioned it here on the air, is that one of the reasons why uh, a lot of Christians uh, don't evangelize mm-hmm. is it's because, well, there's, there's many ways to God. Uh, you know, Islam worships the same God as Christianity. So does Mormon. In fact, Mormon might even be Christian too, and and that's how that's how people view it because they don't understand the religions at all. Yeah, anybody thinks that all religions are the are similar doesn't understand all religions. You know, this is interesting. I talk with friends of mine who are Muslims, and we we agree on one thing. We say, you know what? Both of our religions could be wrong. <laughs> 
hypothetically. Let's put that on there. I said, okay, both of them could be wrong. I said, if yours is right and true, then mine has to be wrong. Mm-hmm. But if mine is right and true, yours has to be wrong. There's there's a dichotomy yeah. because yeah. they openly deny the deity of Jesus Christ. In their holy book, they deny the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. They deny uh, that God is a triune God in the Trinity. They deny uh, that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. They believe we get to heaven by there's a little literal scale, so to speak, that's going to weigh good deeds. into So in almost every ma- major doctrine, there's a difference. Now, we can find commonality, Glenn, with both of these religions. What do I mean by that? Well, they both believe in God, and and especially, I mean, in Mormonism, it's more of a tritheism, three gods, but in um, uh, Islam, it's one God, a singular God. They both believe that God's revealed himself to us somehow. We don't agree with the mode of revelation and the product that results. Uh, They also believe in an afterlife. They believe in a spirit realm. They believe in a soul. So, we do have some places, like Paul does in Acts chapter 17, where he builds a bridge to people of different belief systems. And I look for that because I look for some common ground. They believe in prayer. Uh, they believe in, in re, uh, leading a righteous life. A truly righteous uh, Mormon or a Muslim, even though I, I don't agree that's the true faith, of course, but they can live a, a righteous life. And they might even be like a little bit like the Ethiopian eunuch in chapter 8 of the book of uh, Acts of the Apostles. He was like a God-fearer. He was trying to find out who God, what God, how can I serve God. Yeah. But Philip came to him and opened up the Scripture and explained to him, and then, then the Ethiopian eunuch says, oh, I want to believe. Can I be baptized? You see, so there, I think there might be a lot of people out there in different belief systems that are seeking for God, but they have to come to the true knowledge. And I'll, if we have time, I'll show you how we use— we got, uh, about, we got about three minutes, so if you want to— We can come on the backside, yeah. If you want to throw something in, so what have we, what have we uh, talked about so far? What, are, what, what bullet points have we, have we lined up? Two, essentially. Number one, the angelic visitation. Okay. That's huge. Number two, as a result of that— both of these men, Muhammad and Joseph Smith, will get a um, mysteries revealed to them, so to speak. That will be put into their book, uh, Quran and the Book of Mormon. And they both draw heavily from our Bible, but when their book is completed, they'll say ours is some way decrupted. It's not fully true. And then we just came down a little bit. You brought up the fact that these tend to be exterior religions in terms of uh, custom and ritual, and we brought out the whole thing of dietary restrictions. Okay. So where are we going to go next? Well, next, though, you're going to look at the person of Jesus Christ, and then we're going to talk about polygamy, and we're going to talk, again, where they differ on these areas. Yeah, I'm going to ask you this probably in our next program, but it it seems to me uh, with what happened in the Supreme Court with the uh, same-sex marriage Mm -hmm. that the next step would be polygamy. That's going to be coming uh, pretty soon. Do you think that will come from the Mormon Church, or do you think it will just come from our secular society because they they need another cause? I think that's a good (laughs) point, Glenn. Uh, yeah, I think the door's open because, I mean, if the Supreme Court, by definition, in terms of um, marriages and same-sex marriage, if the definition of marriage is is committed people who love each other, well, that could be yeah. one man, three wives. One, one, it could be a father-daughter. It could be two cousins if they're committed and love each other by definition. And, of course, both Islam and Mormonism were classic uh, polygamous uh, religions at the beginning. I mean, of course, Islam still is, but Mormonism was, and we'll look at Joseph Smith. Yeah, well, we've got, we've got weird stories out there. We've got some woman over in Australia that wanted to marry her cat. Some guy wanted to marry his computer. I mean, it's it it's crazy out there today. So polygamy, 
when you look at the extreme like that, they'll go, well, then maybe polygamy isn't so bad. Because what we're doing is we're desensitizing ourselves with the same-sex uh, marriages, and now uh, polygamy just seems like a natural trans- transition uh, into the next step. Well, we'll pick that up on the other side, but when you look at Muhammad and you look at Joseph Smith and his successor, Brigham Young, polygamy was a mainstay in that religion. It was a major doctrine until 1898. But I, in my study of cults, uh, Jim Jones, David Koresh, all up and down the line, you'll see one of the commonalities is these men are polygamous. All right. To be continued, John Murtha and David Abode, and we're going to be talking uh, about polygamy uh, in the next program. We've got a lot more to get to, so I hope you'll uh, you'll be here next time on Living the Word. John, real quick, if people wanted to reach you, how would they do that? The best way, Glenn, is Murtha, M-U-R-T-H-A-J-M, at yahoo.com. All right. That's going to do it for today. Just a reminder that uh, we do podcast this program at whkwradio.com. Again, whkwradio.com. We have more We have more exciting things coming up, too, that we're going to talk to you about. And uh, I'm going to have Lee Johnson join me one morning, and we'll, uh, we'll lay that out for everyone. Until then, remember to keep your hearts and your minds on Christ Jesus, and you'll be living the Word. Until next time. a part of the conversation centered around faith, family, and community right here on WHKW AM 1220, The Word. Good morning, I'm Glenn Mertz, and we are continuing our study into 12 similarities between Mormonism and Islam, and joining me for this discussion is John Murtha and David Abode, and and we uh, have talked about a, a number of things. If you missed them, uh, you can go on our podcast at whkwradio.com. Again, whkwradio.com to hear the first part of this uh, fascinating study. And in these programs, I, I really enjoy because I think, John, we bring things that a lot of people don't understand or, or know. And within the Christian community, we, we don't get a lot of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just accept things as, as they are. And I think it's important for Christians to be instructed uh, in other religions. Would you agree with that? Oh, definitely, Glenn, because uh, a, a good adage in missions is this. Um, first, seek to understand, and then seek to be understood. So we want to understand where the other person's coming from. And, and a classic model for this is the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 17, when he goes into a Greek culture, and um, he looks around at mm-hmm. Mars Hill. He looks around, uh, what do they believe in? He, lo- he understands their poets. He quotes from one of their poetic books. He goes in uh, chapter 14 uh, when he goes to Lystra. He looks and he sees, well, they kind of believe in gods and they believe in the sun and the moon. And he he turns their eyes from worshiping creation to a creator. So I think we should always have a general understanding where people are coming from because that helps us to understand them but also opens up conversation. Yeah, I think it it, kind of crystallizes our religion for us. Well, that's an important point. Yeah. That's why I said— when I show you these comparisons between Islam and Mormonism, I always show you, well, what does the Bible say, yeah. i.e., what the angel? Well, there's repeated warnings in the New Testament is don't believe if an angel comes with another gospel. One reason, Glenn, is our book is completed. You know, I mean, we have a completed canon, and that's why it says at the end of the book of Revelation, whoever adds to this or subtract to this, the curses of this book will be laid upon that person. We do not need another revelation. 
another no. so-called prophet. That, that's one of the sure signs of a cult is when I have a new book, I have a new revelation, you guys are doing it okay, but you need to go this direction. Well, we left off on our last program with uh, one of the similarities between uh, both religions, and that is polygamy. Right. Now, okay. Now, is that being practiced today in both? Uh, good question. Let me, uh, first of all, with Muhammad, like I said, uh, he gets married to a woman that's 15 years his elder, okay. Khadija. And she's a wealthy merchant woman. She's attracted to him. He's an honest guy. They call him that he's a good man. This frees him up to do what he does. He like sits. These are great merchant routes throughout Saudi Arabia at that time. But it also gives him time to go out into the fields and meditate, et cetera. But when she dies, that's when he starts other. He says he gets a revelation from God to have numerous wives. The contentious one, of course, is Aisha who's a, the daughter of his good friend Abu Bakr. <clears throat> he sees her when she's six. He believes God has given him a revelation that that should be his wife. And, of course, he marries her in nine years. They get married and consummate the marriage at nine. That's still a, a contentious point because it is, it's in their literature. Oh, yeah. It's in the Hadiths, okay? Uh, he'll end up having at least 12 wives. Uh, one of the things is when they go right, raiding caravans is that they were allowed, in terms of captives, not only to keep the plunder, but also the women. Mm. Uh, and so that would be uh, – today in the Quran, uh, they are authorized if they want – if they can properly take care of them, four wives, legally, uh, in Quranic Sharia. Really? They can have four wives. Now, uh, is that continued today? Yeah. Uh, that, that in many parts of the world in Yemen – Well, not in the United States. Unless, well, of they, no, that's, that's, <laughs> that's the other issue. You know, you wouldn't maybe know. And I don't want to – I mean, if, if somebody came and rented – uh, a house from you, and they, and you see the whole family move in, and the man has a wife, and then he has this is my sister-in-law, and that's my aunt. And, well, legally, I mean, under Sharia, under a Quranic law, he could have up to four wives. No, poly- polygamy is prohibited in the United States today. This is going to the Mormons shifting as we do to Mormonism. See, when Joseph Smith had his revelations, then he married his wife Emma, and. Um, when he moves from New York and comes to Kirtland, Ohio, and that's where he gets the revelation to have another wife. And he tells Emma, and she just almost, she goes, you know, she's going to leave. <laughs> yeah. Him. yeah, you yeah know, I, God told me. Yeah, if, and, I, if I did that, I, I would, <laughs> believe me, I wouldn't be here. <laughs> you need another revelation. <laughs> yeah, need another revelation. So, it's a revelation so, <laughs> I don't need, John. <laughs> so he, uh, he, he, he says you're under penalty of death. I mean, you'll, the, the wrath of God will fall on you I mean, if you don't receive this revelation I received. From then on, he gets up to maybe 20 wives. Some of the and this is in their literature, some of the, the wives he takes are still married to men he sends on missionary journeys to Europe. And uh, you how, can, how do you justify that? God told me. See, he, oh, he justifies okay. it by it's the same thing with Muhammad where he says, I received a revelation that it's okay to do this. And, and again, this is in their literature. And so that's going to be an integral doctrine in early uh, Mormonism is this idea of polygamy. And when Joseph Smith dies, we'll get to that later, he's killed, uh, Brigham Young takes over, and he will have many more than that. I think he has upwards to 57 children. And um, that will become a doctrine. Now what happens is when they settle in Utah, uh, in uh, 1898, they want to become a state, but America will not let them become a state because they l- legally and lawfully out there are practicing polygamy. They said you can't do it. Well, then the president, every president of the Mormon church is considered a prophet. Right. Then he gets a revelation 
that no longer will polygamy be accepted. It's no longer a teachable doctrine. They changed that, so now they're going to be admitted uh, to the union. Utah becomes a state. How convenient. See, well, this is the thing. This is another point of similarity, Glenn. Both of these religions, Islam, have the ability to change their scriptures when necessary. See, they, it's called abrogation. It, it, you can change if something, quote, unquote, better comes along. And so this happened. We see this with uh, Mormonism because they believe in a priesthood. And that's one of the things they do is Aaronic priesthood mm-hmm. or Melchizedek priesthood. Right. Well, Joseph Smith, early Mormonism, forbid blacks to be in the priesthood until 1978. Then they said it was acceptable. And now, of course, that came, it is. That came from the president? Uh, from the city no, president, who's a prophet. Well, what was going on in 1978? with civil rights, but Brigham Young was becoming big in the National Association of Athletics. They were getting boycotted. So they have this uh, revelation that now admitted to the priesthood. So it's what we call abrogation Does anybody see through this, John? Well, uh, none are so blind as those who refuse to see. You know, Jesus says, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. But we're living in a day and age. One of the things David and I do is try to show believers not— simply what they believe, but why they believe, and why why our source of authority is so strong in addressing other belief systems. Not for the reason to be criticizing or, or looking down upon them, but simply to filter through, as the Bereans did in Acts chapter 17, verse 11, where they tested everything the great apostle Paul said to see if such things were indeed scriptural. But do you realize what I'm seeing when you say that Brigham Young needed African-American athletes, and they weren't getting them because they were boycotted, and there's a revelation that suddenly came that said now they're accepted. That tells me that you can put pressure on God and he'll just change things. Well, yeah. I mean, this is another. what it tells me, too, is that there's their, there's their source of authority is not set. See, our word of God, the Bible, is set. You, we can't go in and change things to modify Scripture doesn't bend to culture. Right. Oh, absolutely Culture not. has to bend. But right. in their cases, with the whole thing of polygamy, with the whole thing of the priesthood and the racism, they had to, move, they had to switch their Scripture to adjust to the culture. That's fascinating. Yeah, it really is. Yes, David. Yeah, and John, you know, Glenn, one of the things— uh, I, I'm a new believer, a new Christian believer, fairly new, and one of the things that, uh, that I got attracted to with John is, is we don't take sides— he always taught me that. You know, the key for us is we look at what's in the Bible. And the thing that really is impressed upon me is the Bible was the first book. The Quran yeah. came and then the Book of Mormons. But, you know, from there, there are really key differences. And really what we want to do is just state the differences. Our belief system is the Bible. And as John said, you know, that doesn't change where some of these other books and interpretations may. One of the key differences that, that we probably should touch on, I know we talked about polygamy and some of the others, is uh, the deity of Jesus Christ. With uh, Islam, uh, Jesus is considered uh, a prophet who was virgin-born but not the Son of God. Uh, Mormonism says Jesus was the spiritual firstborn Son of God in preexistence. Every person who was ever born on earth was our spirit brother or sister in heaven. The first spirit born to our heavenly parents was Jesus Christ. So he is literally our elder brother. Now, and that's in the gospel principles. Now, Christians believe Jesus Christ was virgin born, God incarnate, who existed in all time with the Father and the Holy Spirit and eternal Trinity. 
As a man, he possessed two natures, human and divine. He lived a sinless life and willingly died on the cross as a sacrifice for the sin of all humanity. That is cut and dry. That is where I hang my hat on. It's the cross. And the cross in Christ differentiates us from those other two clearly. But Mormonism in particular, they they talk about Jesus a lot. Yep. Well, I it's mean, in their very title. It's in the yeah. title of the name of their denomination. Their, yeah. Yeah. Latter-day Saints of Jesus Christ. But it, it doesn't matter if they mention Jesus is what Jesus. That's why yeah. it'll say in Corinthians, if somebody comes to you and preaches another gospel, another spirit, or another Jesus. That's that's the issue. Because many people and Jehovah Witness claim Jesus. Well, that was going on in Paul's day. It was going on in Paul's day. It was going. I think it's going to always go on. You see, the most important question, in my opinion, ever asked on this planet was when Jesus turned to his apostles and said, who do you say that I am? Mm. Yeah. Everything breaks on this, Glenn. Mm-hmm. Everything breaks on yeah. this. Because who who would who the uh, Muslims say? They say he's a high and holy prophet. They have a high reverence for Jesus. They say he's virgin born. They say he did miracles. Yeah. But they don't say he's the son of God. He's mm-hmm. not God come in the flesh. Uh, Mormons, same thing. They have a high respect for Jesus. Well, if they said, if they said Jesus was God, they would have to toss out their religion. Well, but, but, but I mean, Jehovah Witness will say he's a God. in the beginning. A God. Yeah, right. So what you're getting at, it, 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 we have to be clear on this, is when we address who the person of Jesus Christ is. Because the Bible is inequivocal, is so clear on this. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God. The Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt. Colossians says, in him all the fullness of the deity. Jesus did things only God can do. He forgave sins. He received worship. He said, I'm coming back in clouds of glory to judge mankind. He, uh, on and on. He, 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 adds to, I know, he, he says, Moses said unto you, but I say to you. In other words, they knew God spoke to Moses. But when Jesus says that in the sermon, but I say to you, he calls himself Lord of the Sabbath. But as a Mormon or as, as someone in Islam would say, but John, the Bible's corrupt. We've corrected it. My response, Glenn, is, a good, is to say, show me. Mm. Where is it corrupted? That's what I want to know. Where is it corrupted? Yeah. <laughs> because, look, the Bible, we have over 5,000 full or part parchments from 1st, 2nd, or early 3rd century. That, that's powerful when you look at antiquity. The other thing is the unity of the Scripture. It's seamless. Jesus said Scripture cannot be broken. Our source of authority is so powerful um, that we believers, I'm convinced, we don't realize how much mm-hmm. power we have in our yeah. source of authority. You know, we don't have to out-argue people. Charles Spurgeon says, the, the word of God is like a lion in a cage. Just open the cage and let it out. Just <laughs> share God's word. Share about the deity of yeah. Christ. Share about the good news of the gospel. It has power of its own. You know, I, I was telling uh, Lee Johnson, our producer, this yesterday, and, and I've said this before. I said, you know, as, as long as... I do this show, and we we are standing on truth. I I don't I'll talk about anything mm-hmm. because we I got truth backing me. Truth up. is the key. Yes. And I yeah. these two religions don't have any truth in them at all, and and so you really got to tie yourself up in knots to to explain some of their teaching, mm-hmm. and to explain it away because if they're challenged on it, well if they're challenged on it, they just get mad or they walk away, or they tell you you're crazy. And unfortunately, so many Christians don't know their own Bible that they won't be able to give a a reason for. Why they believe. Mm-hmm. So, I, I mean, if you look at it, we stand on truth, John. Truth is everything. Because, again, these are many good people in these differences. I knew good Buddhists when I lived in Thailand. I knew, but 
good doesn't get us to heaven. Glenn. See, okay. that's what, but that's what I hear all the time, <laughs> yeah, John. Right. Uh, but I, I know a Muslim. He's such a good person. Yeah, right, right. Or I know a Mormon. These, these people are really nice. They don't even right. drink. Right. <laughs> you, know? you know, that's why I, I said to a friend of mine, he says, you know, if Jesus just came to earth and taught and did miracles and, and displayed a, a godly example and brought peace, I says, he says, he, he, why did he have to go to the cross? I said, yeah, that's the question. All your other religious leaders are good moral teachers, whether it's the Buddha, the Muhammad, Lao Tzu, Muhammad, on and on and on. Not not saying all, but most. But why the cross? Why the shedding of blood? Why the because Jesus? We didn't need simply a good teacher, which he was. He was the greatest of all teachers. But we needed a savior because man's problem is not wrong knowledge. Man's problem is he's dead in his trespasses and sin, and we need a dying, rising Savior. That's why I always say Jesus did not die on the cross to make nice people nicer. Yeah. He died and rose from the grave to make dead people alive. Yeah. Well, as David said, I think the the, the key here is is really the, the deity of Jesus. Everything. I mean, that's the key difference. Everything. I mean, that sets everything apart. And And you were talking about that earlier. Yeah. And, you know, and the basis for that, too, you know, uh, I have some uh, friends now that I'm walking in the faith where they say, you know, Dave, you know, how can, why do you believe what you believe? When you think about the fact the Bible is unlike any other religious book, despite 40 authors writing from three continents over nearly 2,000 years, it maintains a perfect consistency of message. When I first met John Glenn, uh, he, he said, you know, Dave, okay, you know, you were baptized Catholic. I was baptized Maronite. I went to St. Ignatius High School, so I had the, the Jesuits there, too. And, you know, I never knew the Bible. Yeah. I, I was never taught the Bible, per se. And when I started to get in it with John, after getting some of those facts I just read, he said, Dave, when you take a look at the Bible, think about the Old Testament as being one edge of a, of a spear. Sword. A sword. And the New Testament is the right side of that sword. Christ connects the tip mm. because that's your point. he puts the Old Testament with the New Testament, yeah. and that's how we have the weapon of the Word sort of the to use you know, against things that we need. So when I started to get that piece of it and I looked at the consistency, how could 40 different authors know what was going to happen in the New Testament? I started to put it all together, Glenn, and it wasn't It, it just can't happen. It wasn't hard. No. No, yeah. Nobody no. has the prophetic component yeah. that the Bible does. I always say like this, look. In, in, in two and a half months, the World Series is going to take place, roughly late October. Mm -hmm. If I could predict right now the two teams that are going to be in it, the number of games they'll play, the final score, the MVP, five that are two months yeah. away, you think that would be pretty phenomenal? Yeah, I, not, only that, of, not, not only that, I'd be in Vegas uh, <laughs> right now. That's five. That's five. Yeah. Five future events, right? Yeah. Yes. Two and a half months out. What if we had 300 future events predicted 500 a thousand years mm -hmm. 1500 years in advance do you think that would be phenomenal no other holy book has that only the bible you know you bring up an interesting point because what is what is the definition of a prophet well how can you tell if there's a prophet a, a prophet is someone if he predicts the future does it come true and it has to be everything it has to be. so why are we calling muhammad prophet we're calling joseph smith prophet I mean, that's... Big problem. Yeah, that is. Yeah, big problem. Yeah, Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15 through 20 says, God says, I'm going to send after Moses another prophet like unto him, and you must listen to that person or you'll be cut off or judged heavily. And whatever he tells has to come true. That's the proof, as you just said, proof right. of the prophet. And that was Jesus, that he was going to come 
in that he's likened unto Moses. He's a great deliverer. He's a lawgiver. He, but he establishes the new covenant. And both Paul and Peter will quote that verse out of Deuteronomy 18 in their sermons in the book of Acts. Muslims try to say that was Muhammad, but it doesn't fit. And I, and I share that in a, in a kind way, in a respectful way. You just can't force these pieces in. They, the way God done it, it just unfolds. It's almost like nature unfolds itself. You know, we're moving into spring to fall. It just unfolds. Yes. Yeah, and, and John and Glenn, you know, one of the other things that struck me while we were preparing for the show is the doctrine of salvation and how uh, the three different groups look at it. Islam, salvation is achieved by submitting to the will of Allah. There is no assurance of salvation. It is granted by Allah's mercy alone. Mormonism says uh, Jesus' atonement provided immorality for all people. Exaltation, Godhood, is available only to Mormons through obedience to the Latter-day Saint teachings, faith, baptism, endowments, celestial marriage, and tithing, whether, as it is written, they are gods, even the Son of God, wherefore all things are there, D&C. And then the, the uh, Christian faith, salvation is a release from guilt and power of sin through God's gift of grace. It is provided through Christ's atonement and received by personal faith in Christ as Savior and Lord, Romans uh, 320. So for me, that that was so strong when I came to my faith about a, a father that forgives us. We are sin, we are sinful by nature. That's not going to change. I know every day I struggle with it. The only way it, it happens is through the cross and for a loving, merciful God. What you read about the the Mormon Church goes right back to the garden. Well, if you eat that fruit, you'll be like God. Yeah, yes. And Mormonism is saying, guess what? At some point, you are going to be a god. That's the quote. Yeah. As man is, God once was. As God is, man can become. They believe in an, in, a, in a kind of an evolving uh, uh, theocratic system that one day will be God and will populate a planet. Or that's one of the things. If we get into the celestial marriage bit. But that's that's it. I, I mean, don't know if I want all the work. Well, <laughs> that, that that that's kind of when you start going off there in different doctrine, and then you see how this man is influenced by different systems, and how he comes up with this kind of religion. You know. But this is something that didn't come all the way from the the golden plates. I mean, this is something that was added on to through because Joseph Smith died pretty quickly. After he established this and Brigham Young took over. So yeah. this is more Brigham Young religion than it is Joseph Smith. Joseph Smith just kicked it off, right? Well, he's getting the revelation. Don't forget, it's not a one-time revelation. He gets continuous revelation. Even today, they think the prophet or the sitting yeah. president could be. So, But you're right. Brigham Young is – Brigham Young, and this is bring us to another commonality of these two religions. When Joseph Smith is killed in um, uh, 1846 – um, they got to get out of Illinois. Him and his brother are shot in the jail in Carthage, Illinois. And um, they got to get out of town. And so they start getting all the wagons together, and they just start heading west. And they consider this like the Exodus. And they, matter of mm. fact, they call Brigham Young the modern Moses. They even call uh, the whole movement uh, the children of Israel. They're moving west. They're getting out of this decadent place that killed their mar their prophet. We're going, and then of oh, this long arduous journey. You can, there's park systems there. You can actually follow the trail. He's very sick. When he overlooks Utah, he says, "This is the place." And see, this becomes a defining moment for the Mormon. They believe that strengthened and identified and separated their faith. The other thing is similar in Islam. 
when Muhammad is not accepted as a prophet in his home of Mecca, uh, he is, in a sense, chased out, or he has to get out of town, and he goes north to Medina, and this is called the Hajira. This is, called, this is when they date the start of Islam in 622. They consider it an exodus event. Both of these, when you go commonalities between Islam and Mormon, are extremely significant. It's almost like the exodus from Egypt to the Promised Land. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, yeah. there's a lot of how they, how they look at that, how they take our Bible yeah. and and they kind of graft it yeah. on there yeah. onto theirs. Yeah, yeah. It reminds me of Jefferson when he decided he wanted to take out the miracles, and suddenly well, he's like, okay, Bible, yeah. Right. Suddenly, okay, now I got a new Bible. Uh, this is nothing new. I mean, this goes back all the way, and you, and you describe Paul. This goes all the way back to the Gnostics. Oh yeah, right. What it is is. We have the gospel, the simplicity of the gospel. It's, it's, you know, and people want to add to it. They want to change it. They want to say, uh, you're doing good as a Christian, but there's secret wisdom or knowledge. You should have a higher yeah. wisdom. We got about a minute and a half, John. Give us uh, contact information for you because you will go, uh, you go all over the, um, the country, but uh, if somebody wants to have you come to uh, their Bible study or, yeah, or sure. to their church, give us contact uh, information. Murtha, M U R T H A J M, at yahoo.com. Okay. In the short time that we have, what's been the response from Christians when you give this? And then what's been the response from either the Mormons or the Islam if, if they hear you talk this way? Well, for Christians, I'm, I'm trying to pique interest at why we should study our Scripture. Uh, for When I speak with Muslims or Mormons, it's just the fact that I have uh, points of contact for conversation openers. I'm looking to start dialogue, much like Paul did. He, right. Wherever he went, he started a conversation. And that's what I'm looking for. Okay. John Murtha and David Abode and uh, the 12 similarities between Mormonism and Islam. How many did we get to, actually, through this, these last two? <laughs> I think four or five. Four or five? There's, <laughs> so there's, there's, there's a lot. Well, you know, there's so much here, yeah. and we need to know a little bit about the religion to understand those similarities. Yeah, certainly. Because uh, if you don't have that, then you just go, okay, I, yeah, I don't understand. Yes, right. So uh, we need some background on that, too. And, of course, if you want to hear the first part of this, it's podcast up on our website at whkwradio.com. You'll scroll down. You'll see my picture along with my lovely wife, Jackie. And uh, click on Read More. It'll take you right to the page. And uh, Lee Johnson does a real good at getting those up there, and you'll be able to listen to both of them. That'll do it for today, folks. And remember to keep your hearts and your minds on Christ Jesus, and you'll be living the Word. Until next time.